Thanks for listening to the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. What up with you, Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcast every day. Every day from sunny Southern California. Welcome. Welcome in. The show is brought to you by one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, the greatest arena on earth. Every game, match, race, competition, it is always on. Wherever you root, whoever you root for, whatever sport you love to watch, the biggest games are even bigger in Vegas. So make sure to plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. Um, I, I saw this quote from Chris Greer. He's the general manager of the Miami Dolphins. He won the power struggle with his now former head coach, who is Brian Flores, who's an assistant with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the power struggle was, I don't believe it was actually over Tua. It was over how he handled everything. Like, look, I, I'm, we're all willing to believe that Chris Greer knows what we all know, that Tua, he's definitely not as good as Herbert. Obviously, he's net was is not Burrow. And whether or not he's competent enough to just get him to the playoffs, right? That that's kind of yet to be seen. So so the the thing is, I think what people assume is, well, Flores wanted Herbert, Greer wanted Tua, they picked Tua. Herbert's better than Tua. Greer says, I mean, um, Flores says, I told you so. And they end up getting rid of Flores. I think the truth is more along the lines of they evaluated. He may have said, I prefer, I prefer Herbert. They picked Tua. Tua was the guy. Now, I think we're all well aware he's not Herbert. And he may not be good enough to win the division with, especially when Josh Allen's in your division, who's clearly to this point shown himself to be better. Now, you're not helping your quarterback along when you have a new offensive coordinator every year. But there's something to how you handle it. Like, once you take Tua Tagovailoa that point in the draft, the idea of ditching him a year and a half into his career, it's I'm sure it's too quick for Greer. Greer's probably along the lines of like, look, I know he's not as good as Herbert. I know he's not Burrow. He might not be good enough at the end, you know, if we want to get to and win a Super Bowl. But we do have him under a rookie contract. We've paid the money up front for the next year, right, this year, this season three. This is price, season three and four. Those are the years where those guys don't make anything. They don't make anything. Think about it. Tua's contract, and you can go look this up. Tua, this coming year, 2022, he makes $895,000 plus a $2.4 million bonus. Next year, 2023, he makes a million and a $3.7 million bonus. So the question is not, is he good enough to reach a Super Bowl? It's, can we just get by with him 
and then load up the roster with a bunch of other talent. And then if we decide that there's somebody out there who's better that we can ultimately replace him with in a couple of years, great, we already have a team built around him. But here's what Chris Greer said. Mike McDonald and his staff have come in, have, uh, have come in to do a lot of work. They've studied a lot of Tua. They feel good about his development upside and what he can be and then the fit in the offense. I think we're good with Tua. When he was asked if Tua has a chance to become elite, I can't say that he can't be. What does a double negative tell you, Jason Stewart, when you hear a double negative, I can't say that he can't be? I mean, <laughs> I I don't even know if it's a double negative. I think it's a double negative. Uh, I, I'm i trying to let – me, let me say it out loud. I can't say that he can't be. Um, yeah, I guess that is a double negative that says he's willing to say that he might be at some point. But uh, what a weird way to answer that question. It, it, was a, it was a weird way. Like, why can't you just say time will tell? Like, why I can't say that he can't be. I thought I remembered Flores said something earlier in the season about Tua that, that was like this. It's like it, it's cracking him, but it's not. It's, it's certainly not taken up for him. Uh, no, and it's not. It's, but it's also not an absolutely he can be elite. I can't say that he can't be. What he's saying is I haven't seen it yet. You know, I can't say it can't be, but I haven't seen, you know, he wants to, but he doesn't want to say I haven't seen it yet. And the truth is that if you haven't seen it yet and you've had a guy in your building for two years, you're probably not going to see it. Right? Probably not going to see it. In fairness to Tua, right? Last two years ago, he was coming off the hip. Okay. This year, he was just trying to earn the respect of his coach and learning a new system. Um, but it it's so very obvious what everybody thinks of him. Like everybody th- everybody has some form of the same opinion, which is from anywhere from he's good enough to he's not good enough. Nobody believes he's terrible, or at least I don't think anybody in the real world thinks he's terrible, but I don't believe anybody thinks he's elite. It's can you get by with him? Is he good enough? And... You know, look, take a peek at what Mike McDonald comes from. Where does he come from? He comes from the San Francisco 49ers, where they went to a Super Bowl and nearly went to another one with a quarterback who, dissimilar from Tua in terms of skill set, he's more athletic, he's bigger and more athletic, but also far more injury prone in a Jimmy G. But it's like, Jimmy G's a guy who, is he good enough? Yeah. Is he not good enough? Of course. Is he great? Nobody thinks he's great. He can't be great when... Two or three times a game, you make one of those throws that can change a game for the worse. And usually one of those times a game, the other team catches the ball. And you can't be great when you're hurt as much as he's hurt. Some of it through no fault of his own, but at some point in time, you get to be, you know, you get to be injury prone because you are, in fact, injury prone. I can't say he can't be is a just really weird quote. And I don't think anybody will pick up on it right, other than us. But it is a weird, <laughs> weird quote. It's almost like he um, he says it with a wink, as in y'all know what I'm what I'm getting at. Like if if my boss, how about my boss's boss asks, like you know, is Jason going to be able to stick? Is he is he good enough to do this for a while? And and my immediate supervisor says, um, I'm not going to say that he can't be. 
that's not an endorsement. That's basically a let's let's look for a replacement while he's here. You know, I can't say he can't be. I I, I believe that their their thought press now is not we have our quarterback, our franchise quarterback, but now it's hey look we already paid the money up front. Yep. And the idea of switching him out, I, I, that just let's see if we can what we can get out of this offense. Like Mike McDonald's offense, they kind of comes from Kyle Shanahan. It's about running the football. It's about play action. They want to protect him. The, the, we can make you know the easy throws, the wild throws. He just might not have in him. Okay, we can still win a whole heck of a lot of football games, right? Alex Smith was forever limited when he was in San Francisco, when he was in Kansas City, and they didn't go to a Super Bowl in either. But they got to be damn, damn good. And the teams that are loading up are the ones that have a co- quarterback under rookie contract, year three, year four, and that's when they spend a bunch of money. And I would expect that's what they're going to do in Miami. Check out the latest lines of World of Sports, Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. You must be 21. Present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Yeah, what would you have, Jay? <laughs> to, uh, to bring this uh, show full circle, I know you talked about Kenny Pickett and, and the big commotion he caused by measuring it eight and a half inches on his hands. For those wondering, uh, Tua has a 10 inch. A hand span mm-hmm. that's good enough for the fifty seventh all time in size. Yeah, he has he has big. It's like uh, Russell Wilson. He has big old mitts, right? He has he has big old mitts. And but that should tell you just how much exactly the hand size might play into this, right? I guess uh, Jim Drunkenmiller has the biggest hand of all time since they started measuring this eleven point two five inches. Wow. So Jim Drunkenmiller, uh, he is. Do you think he's is he a Hall of Famer, you think, or no? So you don't think the hand size matters at all? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I agree with your take. that I think it's it's one of those things that you just have to put in the mix is when your evaluation. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I just think it's funny that— When it's the smallest hand size we've seen, like then, then it's a, it's a, it's a problem. It's kind of like the old joke that that a comedian once said, like you know, I have no problems if you're uh, if you're gay and if 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 you're and I have many friends that are gay, but once you're late for something, it's like where is that gay guy? That that's like the old the old joke, right? So it's like if Jim Drunkenmiller doesn't pan out, it was because of his hands, or if if Pickett never pans out, it's because of his hands. It's like it'll be something that we point to, right? Yes, yes. I don't. I don't know if it's something we point to. It's if if he if he has a bunch of fumbles, if he can't change his arm angle. It's like that. That's what one of the Kaepernick things was. Like he would only roll to his right, and he couldn't change arm angles because he couldn't grip the football. I don't know if it's only because of his hand size, but that's what people believed it to be. Tom Telesco is the general manager of the Chargers. I'm going to ask him about evaluating the quarter. He already he found his quarterback. They got a good one. Hey. Okay. So now that he doesn't have to necessarily evaluate a quarterback, at least at the top of the draft, what did he learn from his evaluations? He spent a bunch of time in Indy as well. Find out. He joins us next. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. It's Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. All right, let's catch up with Tom Telesco. He's the general manager of the L.A. Chargers. Um Every year, like, we like to ask these kind of grandiose big questions, Tom, you know, about, you know, free agency and draft pace or whatever. But every year is kind of unique into itself, and every franchise is unique to itself. Um, it, from you, for you personally, 
been in this game a long time, you know, over a quarter century, and now you've been with the Chargers for like a decade. How different is this year's offseason to others? Well, you talk about immediately the, the change is, is, you know, we're finally out of COVID and we're really back to normal. Like just being here at the Combine Live once again is, is a great feeling. Um, but, you know, every offseason is a little bit different just based on where your team is and what your circumstances are at that point. Um, and I know for this year, um, you know, we're going to have, I'm not sure how many draft picks yet, but it could be, you know, nine or ten possibly. We'll kind of see when, when the comp picks come out in March. So we'll have a good amount of draft picks available to us this year. Uh, we've got more cap space available to us this year than we've had since since I've been here. So the resources are there this off season, um, you know, just attack it a different way. And um, so, which is good because I think we have a good football team right now. We have a good base, a good core. Obviously there's some things we need to improve on um, to get over the hump, get into playoffs and make a run at a championship. So, um, but we're set up pretty well right now with where we are. Um, doing a lot of work right now, you know, kind of balancing free agency and the draft at the same time. Um, but, uh, you know, we're excited to get moving this offseason with the amount of work that we can do. You know, it, it's fascinating because obviously I think everyone, and you would agree, you got your quarterback, right? I mean, hardest position to figure out, you got. But how you got to that point is kind of fascinating, right? Because going into uh, three years ago in, in college football, most people thought Tua was the guy. Herbert. Um, Herbert was super talented and might have been a, a top prospect, came back for a year, had a great season, but for whatever reason, myriad of reasons, wasn't viewed as the top guy. Then you have Burrow, and Burrow that year uh, came from a guy who had one year starting at LSU to having arguably the best season we've ever seen from the quarterback position. Now that you don't really have to evaluate the quarterback position, at least for the top of this year's draft, is there a secret? Is there something you've learned through the process that uh, that you know now and maybe you learned through trial and error through all these years? Well, I've learned a lot through trial and error. Um, I was told a long time ago um, by Bill Polian, um, you know, scouting is an inexact science. It's more of an art. And, you know, there's subjective things we look at. There's objective things we look at. You try and blend the two together. Um but you're just not going to be right 100% of the time. You're not going to be right 75% of the time. So as we go through the process, try and really evaluate what the player can do because there are no perfect prospects. It doesn't matter if you're the first pick of the draft or not. There's no perfect prospects. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. You have to kind of add up both sides of the ledger and see if some of those weaknesses can be um, either improved on um, or maybe just compensated a lot by some of the strengths. And um, just realize that every player you take, you know, it's not going to be 100%. They're not going to be perfect. Um, but they got to be someone that you believe in, you believe they can improve. Um, but I have worked, you know, especially at the quarterback position, you know, when we had Phillip Rivers and we're scouting all these quarterbacks, we knew at some point we're going to need a successor to Phillip. Um, but when you look at the college quarterbacks and you're comparing them to Phillip, yeah, they all come up short. And I know we talked as a group, like, look, we can't just wait for the perfect quarterback to come by because he may never come by. Um, so eventually we're going to have to take somebody, but we're going to have to feel really good about that. And, uh, you know, where there's some areas in, in every position, you have to give up a little bit something to gain something. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's just no perfect prospects. And if you look for the perfect player, you're going to come up short probably 100% of the time. You know, there, there's uh, obviously you've you've said we need to protect our quarterback, right? We need to continue to – you draft Rashawn last year, and that was a, that was a hit. 
but there's five spots in that offensive line. You change the center out this year. That seemed to that seemed to work, but there's still work to be done. Uh, the outsider says, "Hey, why don't you just go and spend free agent money and get an offensive line?" But as you and I have discussed off air, like it's <laughs> even with guys you know because they played in the league, the free agency process is not a high hit rate. What what's the what's the percentage? From, again, you've done this for your entire professional life. What's the percentage of, of for free agents, any free agents, that hit on a given year? Well, to talk about if they played at the same level or better that they had with the team that they came from, it's, it's definitely less than 50%. It's just different than baseball. I mean, baseball, you know, a second baseman for the, for the Reds can go play second base for the Dodgers, and it's going to be the same thing. Um, football is just a lot different. Schemes are different. The players around you are different. Um, all loving guys have to rely on each other. So, you know, free agency is difficult. Um, and plus, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have under the cap, there still has to be a player there that you think fits you. You, you just can't randomly say, like, we'd like to add more to our offensive line, so we'll just go, you know, buy it. You know, there has to be players there available. We got lucky last year um, that Corey Lindsley was available and that Matt Filer was available for us. Uh, Matt Filer did a tremendous job at left guard for us last year. Um, so we got lucky in a year that we needed to upgrade the offensive line, that there are two free agents we felt really good about. Now, there's been other years where there may be a position we would love to sign in free agency, but it just doesn't line up player-wise. There's not a player there that we feel like is um, either worth the value or worth the price or can make us better. So, um, you know, you can control the draft a little bit more. The pool is a little bit bigger than it is in free agency. Um, but a lot of times you have to get lucky that there's, a, there's some players available at the position that you have a need that you're able to get. Tom Telesco, our guest. He's the general manager of the L.A. Chargers. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, Brandon Staley came on with us last year when you hired him, and he said unequivocally, without flinching, he, we were using the Green Bay Packers situation against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's like, look, I just, I, I would have I gone for it. The numbers tell you to go for it. He is, he is more than a man of his word, if that's possible, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, What's that like to sit up high? A guy you hired is not only going for it, but I mean, going for it in 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 times in which most of us would cringe and grab our rosary beads. For you, what's that like? Well, this is what we talked about through the interview process, and and um, and if, if anything, like you can tell what our identity is. So that's not hard to see as you watch us play through this season. Um, I'm all for being aggressive. Um, I just think that's, that's how we're going to play. That's what our identity is going to be. Um, I think the team that we have, I think we can be more successful than not playing that way. Um, you just have to realize that you know, when you play that way, it's not going to work 100% of the time. It's just not. So, but those, those situations, they are well thought out. They're more thought out in advance going into the game. You know, there's a, there's a you know, really different model for every game you play, and then it could even change in-game. Um, but I just think it's helpful for a head coach um, to have some data to, to rely on in-game to help make those quick decisions, which you have to do in real time on the fly. Um, so I do think it, it just helps and fully realize that it's not going to be a success rate of 100%. Um, but, you know, we're looking at it even in terms of either kicking a field goal or going for a fourth down. You could say that maybe you're giving up three points, but you could also flip it around and say, look, we're giving up four points by just settling for three points here on a field goal and not going for it, say, on a fourth and two. Um, you know, it depends what the situation is, obviously. But 
Um, but I just think, you know, use, being able to use the, the data that we have, um, certainly in situational football, whether it's four-minute, two-minute, um, you know, obviously fourth down, two-point conversions, and being able to use the clock and use timeouts, I think that's just all part of being more efficient with, with situational football, and that's the way we've gone, and I trust Brandon with that. Even deep in his own territory, you know, like your own, I don't know, 18-yard line in a must-win game, you're, you're good with that? You know, it's funny, the, the, that same week, I believe the Cardinals, I can't remember who they were playing, same situation that we had, they converted it. Uh, nobody said a word. Obviously, we didn't convert ours, and it became a pretty big deal. So, um, look, that, that's the way we wrote it during the season. And, um, you know, when you hire your head coach, you trust them. And uh, I was all right. It would have been great if we'd have converted that. Even if we don't end up scoring on that drive, if we can convert that, hopefully move the ball for another 10, 15 yards. If we do have to punt, you know, we do turn the field a little bit more and make it a longer field for them. So, yeah, it was an aggressive move. Didn't quite work out, but there were a lot of other moves this, this past year that were just as aggressive that worked out for us. So that's kind of how you have to look at it. You, you, you could, you look at that game, and now that we've they've all been played, and the Super Bowl was a was a good competitive football game, but that was as wild a game your last game of the regular season as wild a game as I can ever imagine. Plus, it goes to overtime. Plus, there was this: if they tie, they both go to the playoffs. Um. I don't believe for one second that anything changed with the Raiders from calling a timeout to not calling a timeout. Like, they were still going to run the football, still going to try and get the first down, and if they didn't get it, they were still going to try a long field goal, right? Like, do we have mm-hmm. – now that we're several months removed from it, do you get any sense that that, that, that the timeout changed anything? Uh, I haven't given it a lot of thought since that week, but I know it – after that game, yeah, I didn't have uh, that. To me, that timeout really had nothing to do with anything. It didn't change what they were going to do, no matter what they may have said after the game. I know what they were talking about, but no, that didn't have anything to do with it. They were going to run it again. It was more on us. You know, we had at least two, or at least three, but I know two times that, you know, we need to play better defense and get a stop, even if it's for two or three yards. You know, you can't give up eight and 10 yard runs in that situation. That hurt us more than anything else. I don't think the timeout had much to do with anything. What what is that like to watch so many of these teams play in the playoffs? And the one thing synonymous with most of these teams are well, they got a star quarterback. You have one. You guys are that close. So on one hand, people are saying, "Hey, the job you're doing is great because you have you figured out the quarterback. You have the talent." On the other hand, you came up one field goal short of playing in the playoffs. What's that emotionally like for you? Uh, it's tough. I mean, it's grueling at that, that last game because we were in, in mid-December, we were playing for the division lead. Um, and then but we just didn't finish the season well. Um, you know, we lost at Houston and, and ended up losing it against the Raiders. Um, lost and then lost that Kansas City game. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, you have to flip the page to the next year. Um, you know, learn from your mistakes and flip the page. And that, that's what we've done. We got to continue to build around our quarterback on offense. That's the plan this off season, and I uh, got to get better on defense. And that that's the plan in the off season. And we just got to keep keep going after this. But like you said, you know, when you have the signal caller um, that you feel great about, which we do, not only as a player but as a leader for us, you know, everything else can kind of start falling into place. And um, that's that's what we're working on right now. And, you know, we were close last year, but, you know, close doesn't get you a whole lot. You know, we got to punch through. We have to get in the playoffs. We have to make a run in the playoffs and win a championship. So that's the goal this offseason. We think we have some resources to get that done. We're going to keep working at it. In the real world of the NFL, 
do posts on social media from players, from agents, from people close to players and agents, does that have any effect on the actual negotiations and decision-making process in the real world of the NFL? Are you saying this, do the media have anything to do with player negotiations? Not just media, but like now there's there's a there is there's nothing. Sometimes it's leaked to the media, right? And the media reports things, which basically it's the agent or the player. Oftentimes now you have the agent or even the player kind of speaking out or or doing something on social media. Does that does that affect your decision making process one way or the other, or in terms of contract no, negotiations? I, I, yeah, I think it certainly wouldn't affect the decision making process at all. Um, I guess depending on what's done, it may may affect how how you you know attack things and how you're going to handle it. But no, the decision making part it would have nothing to do with it. Last thing is this: you you mentioned you have more salary cap space. Also, last year the cap went down. This year it's going to spike up. How does that change the math? Like what? How does that change the process? Well, our process remains the same every year, no matter how much space we may or may not have. So that doesn't change. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll kind of see when, when, the, when the bell rings and, and becomes official to start negotiating with players, um, you know, to see what, what the asking is and, and where they are, what their demands are. And, and a lot of it comes down to um, it's supply and demand. I mean, if there's a player that multiple teams are interested in, that, you know, the price tag will go up, and it should. Um, if there's a player that doesn't have as much demand and maybe, you know, we see something in that player that somebody else does, and, you know, maybe you get it at a better price and you can use those numbers somewhere else um you know i'm all for players being able to, to get to be paid what their value is um but as a general manager i always have to remember i only have so much money to work with so every dollar that one player doesn't get is going to go to another player so we have to put the best team together we can so um, but our process as far as how we get ready for agency does not change and then you know i start working into it we'll kind of see where it goes it's uh you have to be really really flexible in free agency it, it moves fast um, doesn't necessarily always go exactly how you would think. Um, so you got to have plan A, B, C, and D and kind of work it from there. Um, but other than that, you know, our process will relatively stay the same. Now the results may be different now that we have more money to spend and maybe more players than usual, but we'll kind of see how that works out. Well, listen, uh, love catching up with you. I know it's a wild week in, uh, in Indy. Thanks so much for spending some time, and we'll check in with you when you get back to, to Southern California. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Take care. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. What up with you, Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Every day at this time, we get you updated on the stories that matter, things you need to know. Don't, Don't you hate it when you turn on sports radio and you get some topic that you don't care about or... Or um, you get the topics that you care about, but you don't get the substance and the opinion with it. We eliminate all that. We get to the press. The press. Brian Finley, what do you got, B? Yes, Doug, I'm looking forward to the substance and opinion of yours. Per your tease about Kevin Durant making his return after missing 21 games. He was dealing with that sprained left MCL. The team in the Nets... Dropped to eighth in the Eastern Conference while he was gone. They went five and sixteen. He says he doesn't look at himself as a savior in coming back. But Doug, I think that Nets fans are hoping he saves this team. Don't ask me about that again. <laughs> um, look, 
I think KD's doing this right. I think he's trying to downplay what he means or what expectations there are. But I also we also know that if you've watched Kevin Durant, he doesn't he doesn't have the off switch. He doesn't have the hey, I'm going to go at 85 um, percent. Now he's coming in and they're taking on a Miami team that it felt like they got screwed last night against the Bucks. Like there was. A foul late, and then an offensive foul on Drew Holiday. Neither were called in their favor, and so they lost a game they should have won. I don't know if that's an angry Heat team or one that will take a game to chill. Generally, they don't take any games to chill. But I think, the you know, it's like, do I think they win a championship? I don't know. Do I think if they have the three of them and the rest of their team, they can be very good? Yeah, I, I I think it'll work. I'm guessing he did, he's not coming back unless he's ready, and ready means he's ready to drop a lot of points. And Durant said that there's nothing set in stone as far as minutes restrictions for him tonight, and that he'll obviously be in touch with the Nets staff about how they want to use him minutes-wise. Staying in the NBA, DeAndre Ayton, excuse me, DeAndre Jordan. Doug, I want to get your opinion on this. Jordan has signed and plans on signing with the 76ers now that he has not been picked up via waivers. So he is a sixer. He was waived by the Lakers. He might not have a jump shot, but what kind of shot does the Sixers have more so with bringing him on the team? DeAndre Jordan? Uh, Yeah, DeAndre Jordan. Can't play. Can't play anymore. It's bad. I think I know they have no backup bigs. I get that. I, I can't play basketball anymore. You know, I just can't play. Finish him. <laughs> it's done. Washed. Next. It's over, Johnny. He it's had over, Johnny. yeah, just thirty-three years old and can't. yeah, he's played in the NBA forever. He just you know, he just at some point you get to where you. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really understand that. Look, the Lakers equally screwed it up. They could have found somebody who's below the cap to take on his cat number and then cut him. And could have gotten some sort of, inst, inst, you know, some sort of cap relief as well. But uh, I, I, I think the immediacy in signing him, when everybody in LA likes DeAndre Jordan, he just can't play, is bizarre to me. Doug, speaking of immediacy, that's what baseball fans want. Both sides, Major League Baseball and the Players Association, to figure out a new labor deal. There was murmurs and rumors and reports of both sides meeting today informally in New York City for about 90 minutes, but no proposals and no timeline for when they're going to meet again here as pressure mounts on getting baseball going. That's a lot. Look, I think the, the, the owners are just going to try and bleed them out. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Owners are like, ah, we missed games already. We're losing. Like, all right, we're just going to bleed them out. You don't want to accept our proposal? Fine. This is the power the owners have. Owners own. You know, they can they can take the short-term loss mm. of not having those games for the long-term gain of a better deal. And I that's what this is about. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can be critical of owners, but you'd be critical of anybody who owns anything. Everybody, you have the right to make money. If you can't find your, if your employees won't come to the table, then you'll cease to exist. At some point in time, the players will come to the table. At some point in time, it'll get done. 
Speaking of players and teams coming to the table, that would be the Ukraine soccer team. They have made it known to FIFA they do not want to participate in Ukraine's World Cup playoff semifinal against Scotland in late March because of the Russian invasion. We're seeing, Doug, consistently all sorts of different sports that are putting the stop sign, anything related to Russia now. And in your opinion, how has that affected the sports world overall? I mean, nothing here. Does it? I mean, we're all trying to make it. Make it. Do I? I feel. Oh. I feel terrible for. There's a lot of American professional athletes, especially women's uh, players, who go play in Russia and make good money. They won't be able to do that. There's guys that play in the Ukraine. They've had to come home. They won't get their bonus checks. You know, they won't get their last. Like that sucks. But in regards to the American sports landscape, doesn't really affect us. Let's just kind of be honest. If it affects us, we'll talk about it, but there's no real effect on us. How about the effect of Zion Williamson reportedly showing signs of improvement with his bone healing and what that means for him, his legacy, and where he's going to play? His legacy? <laughs> what people think of him, his perception. Uh, perception. Is he a bust? Is he not? I don't think anybody thinks he's a bust. I think people think he needs to lose weight and stay healthy, and he hasn't yet. So when healthy... He's tremendous. He's everything he was advertised to be. But I, I, you know, that's a when healthy. I would like to see him play in the NBA this year for the Pelicans, maybe play in that, uh, in the, the play-in games. But I get the sense we won't. Yeah, Pelicans said coach Willie Green had mentioned that while we're pleased with the advancements of him improving that he still has a long road ahead of him before he can see the court. So no definitive timeline on when he's going to be able to to get back out there. I want to leave you with this one, Doug. This is something you talked about earlier, but so much discussion about the hands in the combine, in in the size of them and what that means. And you've got Kenny Pickett, eight and a half inches as far as his hand size. Are we is this overblown? When, when we're we're making this a top story, I know we touched on this a little bit, but how much stock ultimately do these measurements really go and mean to to the success of these players, given how poorly, say, Tom Brady did in in the combine all those years ago? Uh, wait, what, so what's the question? So the measurements that we're hearing coming out of the combine right now, Kenny Pickett eight and a half inches for his hand size. Our, our reaction to, to that and it being small hands, overblown, why do we give so much attention to stuff like this? Because it's a measurement that that has been determined to matter. Does that make sense? It does. No, it do- you wouldn't ask unless it, you, you thought it didn't. <laughs> well, it might matter, but it's not the deciding factor on everything. No, but it does matter. Like, like, look, if you can't grip a football in bad weather because you have little hands, it's an issue. Just is. This is true. I, I, I will give that to you, Doug. And those are the stories that I have on the press. Hey, get out Back there and press. You. That was the press. My man Brian Finley joining us. is Doug Gottlieb's show here on Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny Pickett, really, really small hands. He's got those... He's got those Trump hands, whatever. You know what they say about guys with uh, big hands, Doug? Big gloves? Yeah, big gloves. Big gloves. Big gloves. Big mittens. Big big gloves, big mittens. 
Uh, good ones. Hawks and Bulls tonight. That'll be fun. Grizzlies and Celtics tonight. That'll be fun. Warriors and Mavericks. Luka versus Steph. That'll be fun. Lakers and Clippers. I don't think that'll be that much fun. And the Heat's in the net. Ooh, got some good NBA games tonight. Good NBA games. Really, really good ones. Uh, college hoops. Michigan State, Ohio State. Ohio State's been taking down water. Kansas is going to their 12-point favorite of a team they just lost to. Uh, that's, all right. Check out my pod tomorrow. It's Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. 